I tell you what, that's, it, that's really funny because um, I was reading somewhere that uh, um, I think Bill Hybels was writing in one of his books that people that serve outside of their job or whatever it may be, a lot of times that's the most significant thing in their life. And I think a lot of us, just like that little skit there, think that service is going to be something, you know, like working with middle school kids. It, it, it'll be hard, it'll be difficult, you know, suffering for Christ. But it's interesting, I found that when I start serving, it ends up being the most meaningful thing for me uh, in my life. And I really enjoy it. Even though I do some great things at work and we serve a lot of people, when I have a chance to serve at church, I'm not sure what it is. It's just a little bit different and a little bit more meaningful and a little bit more eternal. Anyway, my name is Dean Maddox, and uh, you probably figured out by now I'm not Mike. You know, and uh, if you're new here, I'm not Mike. And uh, he'll be coming back, Lord willing, from the Dominican. Uh, and so. Uh, we're going to continue on with uh, Tickle today and learning about joy a little bit, learning about how Christ is the ultimate servant. Um, so anyway, I, I have uh, three daughters, just in case you wonder a little bit about me. If you don't, it's okay, just pretend. Um, they're, uh, they're 12, 10, and 8, and uh, I've been very fortunate to have them, and they're great, they're wonderful. Um, but I'm sort of flying solo this weekend because Chris is uh, on, the, on the trip as well, my wife. And so if you see a number flash up on the screen and I sort of just leave quickly, um, if one of you guys might mind just sort of jumping up here and picking up our left up. I've got my notes right here on the podium, so just, just keep going like that. So no, seriously, I think it'll be good today. Um, you know, so we're going to continue on talking about joy. And it's funny because a lot of times we think of joy as someplace uh, we arrive at, someplace we get to. And I think we have these pictures in our head of how life is supposed to be, what it's supposed to be like, you know, whether it's a vacation, whether it's a job, whether it's a, a point in our life or our kids, how they're supposed to behave. We have these, these little flowery pictures in our head, and when we get to it, a lot of times it doesn't really turn out that way. You know, we think it's going to be this way or that way, and suddenly we get to it, and it's just not like that. Well. A lot of times that's around vacations. And so one, one year, Chris was going to be gone for an extended time. She's going on a mission trip. I'm not sure why she keeps doing that. Um, I have to stay with all the kids. How did that happen? But anyway, so I thought, okay, great. This will be a, a dad and daughter time. You know, we'll have a great time together. And this was uh, mid-July. Uh, and I thought, let's go, let's go camping. Let's take all the kids. The girls were a little bit younger then. I think they were maybe, maybe 10, 8, and 6. You know, I said, let's... Let's go camping. And so, you know, me, I like to, like to do things outdoors, and I thought, let's, we'll go beach camping. You know, I know this great spot. It's, you know, it's, it's, it's on, the, on the beach about seven miles from the North Carolina border, seven miles from the Virginia border. You're basically 14 miles in the middle of nowhere. Uh, and I said, okay, we're, gonna, we're not going to go car camping. You know, that's for, that's for wimps. You know, we're going to take the kids out and go. We're going to go backpacking. We're going to ride our bikes on the beach. And, and go to this great spot, and I can have this picture in my head. It's going to be wonderful. You know, we'd walk, you know, riding down the beach on the hard packed sand. People would look, you know, they say, oh, wow, what a great dad. You know, I can't believe you got all those girls to go on that trip. They look like having such a sweet time. And the girls would be with their little bikes, you know, little backpacks on, and I'd have the big, huge backpack and pulling stuff behind. They'd be, wow, he must really be suffering. Boy, what a great dad, you know. And we'd get there, and we'd go, and we'd set up our tents, and the girls would play in the water, you know, and we'd go over to a little, little pump water. You have to pump water out because they don't have regular running water, and it'd be cold, and, oh, you know, we have a great time. And that night, we would come into campfire, and we'd sing Kumbaya, you know, and <laughs> I'd tuck them in, and, you know, I'd sit there under the stars, you know, as they slept away, and 
oh, wow, what a glorious time, you know. Maybe I even be able to do a little, you know, fishing to my own, you know, when they're playing off. It was going to be wonderful. <clears throat> now, granted, this is mid-July. It's not really the coolest time of the year. So anyway, so I shared this vision, not the whole thing, of course, about me being a great dad and everything. I figured they'd pick that up later on. Um, and with people around me as I was preparing, and I said, you know, here's the deal. I'm really excited. And they're like, Dean, you know, um, I just don't mean, you know, I know you love the outdoors and everything, but it is, it is mid-July. It's a little bit hot out. Are you sure you got this? Yeah, yeah, I'll be fine. I've got all the gear and everything. We do this all the time. We really don't, but, well, you know, we'll be good. And I told somebody else, and they said the same thing, you know. Dean, are you sure about this? You know, I don't, you know, like, no, no, we'll be great, you know? So, sure enough, started preparation. Of course, I'm planning ahead. We're buying all the stuff. I'm packing it all in waterproof bags. I spend about two days preparing, getting ready. The girls are all excited. You know, they have no idea what's in front of them, you know, poor girls. And so, uh, so anyway, so we get going, and it's the morning of the big trip. And we have so much stuff, it takes, like, two or three trips to get it to the drop-off point, okay? So I'm shuttling gear back and forth, and we plan to leave early, but as it always happens with girls, it never really works that way. Um, and so we're, we're there at the drop-off point about 10 a.m. And, and, and getting all packed up, and I've got all this gear, and uh, it's starting to get a little bit warm. By the time we get everything unloaded, and I've got this long kayak on wheels that's full with 100 pounds of gear, and then my backpack, and, and, and get everything going, it's probably close to 11. And actually, the drop-off point is this big public beach, okay? It's the last beach before you get to pretty much nowhere where the national or the state park starts. And so it's starting to fill up with people. And they aren't there to camp, obviously. It's, you know, July. They're there to enjoy the beach. And it's starting to get a little bit fuller. And I really plan to be, you know, on the way, away from those people by then because I really didn't want them to see, them, see me. But that's fine. So it's getting busier and busier there. So finally, we get going, and start heading towards the, the water. The plan was, see, I thought this through. Low tide, you have to ride. If you're going to ride bikes on the beach, note to self, you have to ride on low tide. If you don't ride on low tide, the, pack, the sand isn't packed, and there is absolutely no way you're going to make it. It is miserable. The bike sinks down. Your feet sink down. It's really bad. So I planned it right, low tide. So we get out there, and it, it's tough getting through the sand. And as I get closer to the water, I begin to realize there's a problem. Instead of, you know, yards of hard packed sand, I see this soft shelf that just drops off right where the water comes. But it's low tide, it shouldn't be there. I had forgotten that they were doing beach replenishment in that part of Virginia. I had assumed they were gonna stop at the national at the state park, you know, because you couldn't do that around state parks. No, they just kept on going. And so we had instead of all this this section of hard packed sand we had just this soft, mushy junk. I didn't give up, though. I said, girls, we're going we're gonna to make it. We're going to suffer through. We're going to make it. So we start going. And sure enough, my kayak starts to fall off the wheels, you know, and I have to unpack all the 100 pounds and set the kayak back on the wheels and strap them in, pack it back in. Uh, the girls are not making very good progress. You know, now the crowd is starting to grow. They're there with their beverages, their coolers, their swimsuits. We're decked out in all this full long clothing, you know, all these packs. Um, the boat slips off again. I unpack it. Unpack, you know, they don't help. They just sort of come around closer, and, you know, they're like, wow, this is really interesting. And, we, and so we keep going, and the girls, I can see it. They're in front of me. They're like, Dad, we have to. Like, keep going. Keep going. We're going to make it. You know, we're going to suffer through. Finally, after about three or four times of doing this, now it's noon, 
I'm completely spent. I'm afraid someone's going to call Child Protective Services at any minute because they're thinking, they're starting to whisper, is, is he wrong with them? Is he have medication? Is there a problem? I was like, okay, that's it, girls. We're going to pack it up. They're like, thank you. you know, and so we pack everything along. You know, it takes forever to get back to the drop-off point. And meanwhile, the place we dropped off was a little shelter. It was empty when we got there. Now there was a church social going on. So we're walking back through all this church through the barbecue. They're like, oh, wow, poor guy. He's obviously not a Christian. He's, something's wrong with him. He's treating his kids this way. Eventually, we get there, make it back to the house, unpack all our stuff. I say, listen, girls, please, Daddy just needs to crash, you know. Here, watch the DVD. Just leave me alone, please. And they all go back, you know. I just conk out. Now, the moral of that story is that a lot of times we have this vision in our head of how life is going to be. And just like with me, I thought it was going to be just this wonderful experience, you know, postcard, this and that. And when I got into it, got into the nitty-gritty of life, it just didn't turn out that way. And I think in our lives, it's a lot like that. You know, we want to have joy in our life. We want to get to this place that, that is meaningful and just like that picture in my head is wonderful. But it just doesn't always work that way. And there's a lie out there associated with joy. And it goes something like this. If we someday get to that place we see in the movies, we'll be full of joy. You know the place I'm talking about. The one where the couple finally gets back together after incredible odds. The one where the underdog prevails against great adversity, where the warrior somehow strikes the fatal blow, even though he's battered, bleeding, and on his last breath. We believe that will be us. You know, we believe that we too will have the perfect marriage. We will overcome it all. We'll achieve everything we wanted. Our children will all graduate and have happy lives. Our long-lost child will return. Our, our spouse or parent will suddenly come around. We will overcome the sickness. We will somehow save the farm. Sure, there will be bumps along the way, but in the end, there's a place of peace, joy, and happiness. And the reality is nothing could be further than the truth. Life is not like that, and it never will be. Yet we live our lives like it is. We keep hoping that it will be. We get angry when we feel like it's not heading in that direction, uh, and we fight against it when it doesn't. And when we realize we can't fight against the lie of joy, we decide we can at least fight against those we love. And so we choose to fight against our spouse, our parents, our children, our friends, our co-laborers in Christ, all because the lie of joy doesn't come true. And yet somewhere deep inside, we know it, it's just a lie. We know somewhere down there's a different way. We just push it down, but we see others who have same or worse circumstances, and they yet have seemed to figure it out. They've seemed to broken free. Uh, and we want to know why, but we, don't, but we don't, because then we're afraid we'll have to admit that the lie is just that, a lie. And that would mean we're wrong. And so we continue in our anger against the lie of joy, afraid to try the antidote, to break free, to rise above. And we think of joy as something that happens, something that we receive, someplace we arrive at, it floats around in our head, barely out of reach. You know, you keep grabbing for it. But our Lord seemed to have a different take on it. For him, joy was not something that was arrived at. It was directly tied with who he was united to. Who are we tied to? What are we linked to? Uh, what is woven through our life? Perhaps it's our job. Perhaps it's a dream relationship. Perhaps it's a place in life, an income number, a person who changes how they behave, 
Perhaps it's a healing, perhaps it's a repaired relationship, perhaps it's someone we hate, perhaps it's ourselves. Where's the breakdown, you know? What's the breakdown? What's the solution to this complex problem? And is it just as simple as telling ourselves, be joyful? To find the answer, we must go back to our Lord, who in some wonderful way mastered the puzzle of joy in the midst of a life of great heartache and suffering. And he seemed to have the ability to cut through all the, clar- cut through all the cra- craziness with a clarity in purpose that amazed other, others. He seemed to find the right boxes for everything in life. How did he do that? Was he just the son of God and we can never experience what he did? Was it just a cruel joke? that he lived a life that we can never experience? Well, he tells us in Philippians 2, he opens the door of joy for all of us to see. He says, he lays out the keys and says, here, they are yours, take. There's no secrets here. So let's open our Bibles, and we're going to read, it'll be up on the screen as well, Philippians chapter 2. I'm going to find it here. I've got it marked, just in case you're worried. All right, Philippians chapter 2, we're going to start actually in verse 1. And we're going to go um, all the way to verse 15, I believe. Yep. So, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, any comfort from his love, any fellowship with the Spirit, any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded and having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look out not only for your own interests, but also the interests of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man." He humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on the cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now now much more in my absence, Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and act according to his good purpose. Do everything without complaining or arguing, so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault, in a crooked and depraved generation in which you will shine like stars in the universe. It's a great passage, I tell you. There's there's so much there um, about joy and how we can get there. We're just going to take a look at a couple different principles that we're going to glean from that and go from there. So where does it start? Well, it starts in verse 1, and not surprisingly, it starts with him. He says, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, any fellowship with his spirit, if any tenderness and compassion. Do you see it there? No? Just kidding? I didn't either. Don't worry. You know, it's sort of tucked away in there. The first key to joy, it's sort of, you know, it's hard to see there, and it's hard to understand. We're going to unpack a little bit. One little word that starts to change our perspective, one little word that helps us understand where it all begins and ends, united, united with Christ. 
And we're going to break that down because that was hard for me to sort of get my head around a little bit when we were talking about what does that mean? Why is it so important? Why would being joined to our Lord somehow start to peel back the layers of joy? Um, I play hockey, and one of the um, critical things about playing hockey is understanding, or really any sport, how it all works together. You know, um, it's not enough to just know what team you're on. Just knowing your team colors really has nothing to do with victory. Um, think about it. In football, the quarterback who can somehow make it work just seems to know where that receiver's going to be. You know, um, the soccer player who's, who's doing the corner kick just seems to know which player is going to come flying in from outside the box and head the ball in the goal. Um, you know, day in and day out, they work at that together until they're one. You know, and, and, and that's part of being united. Back to Christ, you know, um, he says we're united to him. We're on his team. And when we became, when we became followers of Christ, um, uh, he joined with us and we became his. He bought us with a price. We said, you know, Lord, I'm tired of doing things my way. We want a different way, one with hope. And maybe it was like that at one time. Uh, we, were, we wanted to do things his way. But over time, we began to see him as more of an option, a recommendation. After a while, he, his way was more of something we did most of the time, and only in areas that we thought were important. Uh, like a player who feels like he knows better than his coach. You know, like a soldier who feels like his officer's commander, just recommendations. Like a student who thinks his professor's instruction in math are just ideas. Like a person who feels like laws are just for other people. Something changed, slowly of course, not one day, not in a day, not in a month, but over the course of maybe a year, joy slipped away bit by bit. And joy doesn't depart in a vacuum. Its evil sister dissension creeps back in. Soon those ideas I had became more of the way it should be, and then pretty soon the way everybody should be. People who didn't see it that way became just not different, but wrong, and then stupid. Now instead of fighting for the one I'm united with, I'm fighting against the one I'm united with. Instead of with and in Christ, I'm away and against him. Oh sure, my ideas sounded spiritual, and probably right on some level, but at their ugly base, they are mine and not his. They are for my good and not his. And so goes the slippery slope to hell. That's why Paul continues on in Philippians 2.1 by saying, Then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in purpose and spirit. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look out not only for your own interests, but the interest of others. If we're united with him, he must increase and I must decrease. We can never break free of the lie of joy if we're looking out for our own interests. Like I said, this is sort of hard to sort of wrap your head around. So I, I was trying, I really thought about this week, trying to figure out how do you, how do you see united with Christ? You know, I, I thought about taking two pieces of metal and welding them together up here, but then they wouldn't let me use those big gas tanks, and I really don't know how to weld, so that wasn't very good. So I, I came up with something maybe that'll help a little bit. Just hold on. Don't worry, I'm not going to run away. Um, just kidding. Maybe I am. You know, it's sort of, sort of like this. Let's make sure it doesn't fall off there. You know, when we're first following Christ, let's pretend that 
you know, this is the game plan, and, uh, you know, Christ is the quarterback, the coach. And when we're first following Christ, it sort of goes like this. You know, we're coming into the huddle, and, all right, Lord, you know, ready to go. I'm ready to go. Okay, he's like, hey, Dean, I want you to, I want you to go out and, and cut left and, and then uh, and come across. I'll hit you right there in the beam. So I'm like, okay, Lord, here we go. Hup. So I go out, you know, and whoa, watch out for the piano and, you know, ah, you know, come back. All right, Lord, that was a good play. I got about 15 yards in that one, Lord. All right, he says, all right, Dean, okay, I want you to watch out for the drum set, and we're going to cut across and then go from there. And so I go out and go, you know, across, you know, cut here. Oh, I missed it. Come back. Tweet. Yeah, Lord, it was me. I know. I got, I got hold for holding. Did you see him, Lord? He was going to get away. He was going to come in and get you. I had to hold him. I know. I know I don't need to worry about that, Lord. I know. I know. I need to follow your game plan. I'm sorry. All right. Okay. I know it sets us back a little bit, but we're still going the same direction, aren't we? Yeah. Okay. We're going to get it. All right. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. You know, we, there, there's grace there. There's, there's forgiveness. I don't have to be perfect. As long as I'm following his game plan, he knows I'm going to fail. He knows I'm going to mess up. But I'm here, and we're here together. And there's other people on the team who are failing just like me. But we keep on moving down the field. We're united together. We're practicing together. We're following his plan. But here's what happens after a while. So it goes like this. All right, Lord, I'm ready to go. Okay, here we go. All right. Ready? Hup, hup. Okay. Oh, Come back. <clears throat> hey, Lord, I, I, I don't need to bring this up a little bit. I don't mean to, you know, but I noticed that Stephen, he was offside, Lord. Yeah, he was. I, I know you didn't notice that, but, um, but yeah, he was. I just thought I'd point that out. What, Lord? What, you just want me to worry about myself? Okay, yeah, I was just, I'll just bring it up. Just bring it up. All right, okay. All right, so here we go. Set, hey, go. I can go out, draw a pattern. Okay, all right, come back. All right, yeah. That was pretty good, Lord, wasn't it? I mean, I didn't throw it to me, but I think I'm doing pretty good here. I'm getting this thing down. Did you, I, again, Lord, I hate to bring it up again, but did you notice that Stephen, he was offside again? Yep. And, Lord, it's not the first time. Yep, he's been offside quite a bit, quite a bit, Lord. And I'm really concerned. I don't know, Lord, you just don't seem to pay attention to what Stephen's doing. Yep. I, uh, I'm, really, I'm really frustrated, Lord, with how you aren't taking care of Stephen. You know, you really need to deal with that. Or I'm concerned we may not make it down the field, you know. Yep, Lord, I'm just going to sit over here and watch this play and see if I see anybody else that uh, uh, is messing up. What, Lord? Don't I want to jump in? No, no, I'm just going to sit over here, Lord. I think I'm better away a little bit more, you know. Tweet. Next play. Oh, Lord, uh, hey, did you notice uh, Stephen's offside again? Yep, I saw it. Jane, too, she was holding. Yeah, you didn't catch that, did you? No, no, Lord, there's a whole lot of issues you've got going on in that team, and I'm really concerned about them. Yep, Lord, I'm just really worried about your team. It just seems they keep on getting more undisciplined and undisciplined. I just don't know if they're going to make it. No, I'm just going to sit here, Lord. I'm just going to sit over here on the sidelines now, Lord. I'm just going to watch. Yeah, we've got all sorts of issues. Lord, yep, there it is again. You see it right over there. Again, 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 again. And after a while, we're on the sidelines, not going down the field, just picking out left and right all the things that are going wrong. And over here, there's no joy. You know, we're all by ourselves, just where the enemy wants us, actually. Not there, part of the team, not going down the field, not getting to the end zone. 
We're just here, just picking out flaws. And that's where, why it's so important we understand being united. When we're here in the huddle with him in the light, there's flaws, there's mistakes. I'm going to mess up big time. I'll probably mess up before we finish. But there's grace and forgiveness, and we're moving down the field. And we get into dissension and nitpicking and things like that. Pretty soon it becomes about us and what we think is right, not about him and the cause for Christ. And we have to understand that we're united, we're here with him, flaws and all. And if we don't, we just end up step by step, day by day, month by month, year by year, further away, on the sidelines, till finally we sit down and live our life as he moves on. It all starts with who we're united to, whose game plan we're playing according to, who is the Lord of our life. If we're living our life daily in a way where Christ is the one we're trying to please, the one we're trying to love, the one who we're trying to put first and be like-minded with, pretty soon those who don't agree with us, we can, have, we can be one together. Those who don't have the same love with us, we can love them. Those we can be one in spirit whose temperament are opposed to us. And we can be one in purpose with those who seem so different than us. If we're not united with him, then the place to joy, the space to joy, just like that example, is a deep, dark, endless chasm. So you're thinking, is that all it is? You know, just being united to Christ and suddenly joys in my life. You know, um, that's part of it. Sure, you're thinking, that's, that's fine and dandy, but I live in the world world, Dean, okay? All right, not there up on stage. You don't know what that person's done to me. You don't know my circumstances. You don't know how I've been hurt. You don't know how wrong they are. I've had someone who, say, who says they're a Christ follower treat me worse than a person of the world. Or maybe you want to have joy, and you want to be at that place, but it seems so hard, so far away. You've tried and failed, and you just keep coming back. You need someone to come alongside you. You need someone to say, hey, I've been there. I've done it. You don't have to be perfect. I can help. And so our Lord, through Paul, continues on, perhaps sensing our apprehension, perhaps realizing that it's tougher than it sounds. In verse 5, he says, Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on the cross. One of the barriers to joy is is just not understanding whose team we're on, but who, who to follow. Who are we going to follow? Who's done it before? Let's be honest, it's hard to have peace in your life when it changes minute by minute. One day you're on top of the world and can do no wrong, and the next day it's all collapsing around you. Or perhaps your joy blocker is just day in, day out, over and over again, will it ever end, there's nothing different type of life. Or perhaps you've had great dreams but they seem so far, so faint, so distant now. We need a pro, someone who's been there, who's done it over and over again, uh, someone who's been beaten down and somehow rose above, someone who is surrounded with fallen, selfish followers that seem to get it wrong more than they got it right, someone who experienced the hatred of others just because he did not fit in the mold, 
someone who learned to keep giving, giving when there was no chance they would change. We need Christ. See, the thing about Christ was he was right. And his judgments were always true. His perspectives were always right. Yet he chose to submit to the Father's will. And he, didn't know, he didn't owe anybody anything. He was in the place of highest honor. No one in the universe, no one in all time present or time to come could say to him, you're wrong. I'm above you. All authority of all time and all present, all the powers of all the harmonies of time present and time to come were all in him. More magnificent than all the sunsets of eternity, more beautiful than all the mountain ranges in the world, larger than all the distances to all the stars in the universe, Christ was truly on another level. Yet he made himself a servant. He took on an incredibly small and frail earthly form to be obedient to the Father and show his love for us. The gap from status to service was enormous for him. He even endured death as a criminal. The only person in all time who was never wrong was branded by the creatures he created as not fitting in, of doing wrong, as so not a part that he should be removed from the race, snuffed out, squished down, silenced, yet he submitted, yet he served. Think about it. If you are going to do something very risky, something that could mean life or death, perhaps let's just say, let's just, just go with me for a second here, you want to climb Mount Everest, all right? Tallest mountain in the world at 29,025 feet or 30 feet, depending on which group you're part of. They keep on saying it's going up or down. Who knows? Anyway, at that height, that's the same height that 737s cruise at. So when you're up in, the, in an airplane at roughly 30,000 feet, you're actually at the same level at the peak of Mount Everest. Up there, as you get above a certain point, not even up that far, but, you know, 18,000, 20,000 feet, they call it the death zone. That's a place where you're trying to reach the, the top as quickly as possible because actually the altitude is killing you. And you have just a short period of time before your body succumbs and you die. Um, and that's a space there at the top. If you were going to do that, you would want a guide who'd been there over 30 times and had planned for every emergency. You want a guide who'd been in situations where he almost lost his life, but had somehow, some way found a way out. You'd want a guide who knew the steps needed and already had made the plans to contact the right helicopter because there's only a few helicopters that can actually fly up at that altitude, um, not at the top of the, uh, Mount Everest, but up there at the base camp. Um, if, and you want to make sure he knew those and had already contacted them in case you're injured. You would need someone who's been to Everest over and over and over again because the risk is so high and the danger is so great. Or how about this? Let's say, okay, I've done the Everest thing. I'm going on the next thing. Let's go to a triathlon, okay? Triathlon, it's a race that's about a 2.4-mile swim. It's a 112-mile bike ride and a 26-mile run. That's crazy. Um, anyway, the race that it's a race that stretches athletes to the fringe of their ability. Most are just glad they can finish. The best can do the entire thing in just over eight hours hours. I understand that. If you were going to do that, though, you'd want a trainer who would guide you through the year-plus training regimen to get you there. One who had been there, who explained how, what it meant to hit the wall, who knows first how, how important it is to train, train, train. One who would keep you focused 
and not take you like three quarters of the way there and say, oops, sorry, I'm not sure about this, I'm not sure, oh well, um, you know, go from there. You would need one who is there at the finish line saying, see, I told you, all that hard work would pay off. Would pay off. Now, I know that most of us will not likely climb Everest or compete in the Ironman, but we face a battle that's just as difficult, the battle for our heart and the battle for joy. Life is hard and, just pro and probably harder than climbing the world's highest peak or taking our body a, a total of 138 miles in eight hours. This is interesting. This is a great quote. I love this one. Chris Bonington, one of the greatest explorers of modern time, he summited Everest multiple times and most of the major uh, the top seven peaks in the world. He said, the big questions are simple questions, aren't they? He said, it's the little questions that are hard. Sorting out your income tax, trying to make the fridge work, getting the car fixed, dealing with your children being expelled from school, or wanting to borrow money from you so they can do something that you really don't approve of. Those sorts of things are much more difficult questions than trying to climb a mountain or facing life and death. Life and death are so simple. Christ has been there. Just like the guide or trainer who knows all the ins and outs of the challenge, Christ knows the race of life. But he and his word can take us through the obstacles. And that's what we need. We need someone who's been there, someone who knows the tension inside. We know we're united to him, but it's still a struggle to submit to his will on a daily basis. We need to have someone who can say, I've been there. I know the feelings you have. I know the struggle, the unwillingness to let go, the fear that if you turn it all over to him, he will somehow let you down. I like it like this. It's like we each have a little ball of clay. I was going to bring one up here, but I couldn't find clay that was... Anyway, another story. We each have a little ball of clay. And at one time, this little ball of clay was our dream, our hope for joy. It looked so pretty. It was nice and smooth and everything. And we were thinking, oh, it could be this or it could be that, you know. But then life got a hold of it, sort of squished it down, you know, and sort of pulled it apart. And, you know, after a while, trash got in there and some glass and some rocks and everything. And it got all dirty and ugly. And we dress it up and we tell others that their ball is uglier than ours. And ours is really pretty. But we know deep inside that our ball of clay isn't that pretty. And we have an ugly ball and it's not perfect. And inside, we want it to be perfect. We want it to be a nice ball of clay. But we know that Christ, when he submitted to the Father's will, took his ball of clay and he said, not my will, but your will be done. And we know that God, in Christ's life, didn't play games with his ball of clay, that he had a purpose and he brought him through great adversity. And so we know that when we give our ball of clay to God, he doesn't play games with our life either. And he can take it and make it into what we want and what he wants all at the same time. See, Christ has been there. He's had the struggle. He knows how hard it is to put his own will aside for the Father. He knows the struggle inside of wanting to do, have one thing, one way, one result, and having, not, having to say, yet not my will, but your will be done. Not only that, but he, he promises to help us bridge the gap, the one that seems too far, the one that we fight against inside, the one that all our being says, no, I shouldn't have to do that. They should change, not me. He says that if we understand that we're united to him and that he has led the way with his service, that in verse 13 he says he works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. One day at a time, one relationship at a time, one struggle at a time. So what's the result then? 
He tells us in verse 15. He says that if we're united to him and we follow his lead, that we will become blameless and pure children of God, without fault and a crooked and depraved generation in which you'll shine like stars in the universe. I love that verse. Regardless of our heartache, regardless of our broken relationships, regardless of how we've been wronged, when we understand that we are united, when we're united to him, it's not about what others aren't or aren't doing or are doing. It's all about moving the ball down the field according to his playbook. When we understand we have a coach, a trainer, a leader who's felt the pain and who's overcome, we begin to take, get closer to that place of joy. When we begin to understand that it's not a place we arrive at, but a relationship we learn to love. That we don't have to know how to get to the end zone, we, just that we'll get there. That it doesn't matter what our teammates are doing, only that he loves them just like he loves us. Somehow, in the midst of this broken world, Christ offers us a different path to joy. One that's not a lingering feeling in a dark movie theater. One that's not a cruel balloon that's barely out of reach. It is a way that results on our peace and contentment in, sti- in spite of being wrong, in spite of life not being fair, in spite of us not ending up like we wanted. Somehow, united to him, following his example, we end up shining like stars, a broken but perfect light to those who are around us, full of joy. Let's pray. Dear Holy Father, I thank you that you don't give up on me, Father. Lord, I know that I fail so often, Lord, and I tend to look at others on the team, Lord, nine times out of ten, try to put myself above them, and you're telling me, Dean, it's really just about you and I. Just get back in the game, follow my lead, and let's go from there. Lord, I pray that I would begin to understand more of how you served and your example, and that I can go to you, Lord, when it's tough for me and tough for us, Father, and you can lead us there. Thank you that you're so patient with us, Father. Thank you that you don't expect us to be perfect, Lord, that you guide us and that you don't give up on us, Father. Thank you that you'll take our little ball of clay, rocks and glass and all that crap, Lord, and just guide us, Father, and make us in who you want us to be. Thank you, Lord, how you love us. Just guide us throughout this week. Help us understand that the place of joy is closer to you and your way, Lord, not just a place we arrive at. In your name I pray. Amen. All right. Well, there we go. Not too many left. Have a good day. <laughs>